Hello and welcome to 10 Things I've Learned About Self-Publishing in my five years of podcasting. This episode is for Sunday the 4th of April 2021. The first official episode date for this podcast was the 4th of April 2016. And I discovered recently to my surprise that that means I've been doing this podcast for five years, which seems incredible. So I thought I'd drop this special episode today. And I find these episodes quite useful because if you discover the podcast late, rather than have to go through five years, and of course you're perfectly entitled to do that if you want to, I find that these episodes, these summary episodes, kind of sum up my learning to date so you can access where I'm up to at this moment in time because of course as with the title of the podcast it is a self-publishing journey and it you know it started with a handful of books and now things have moved on considerably so at the time of recording this as I draw my my line in the sand just to let you know where we're up to I've self-published 30 books that's 16 psychological thrillers 10 sci-fi books and four non-fiction books. Now, in actual fact, I've written more books than that. Those are the books that are published live and you can buy them right now. I've actually written uh, nine versions of non-fiction titles. So there were six standalone non-fiction titles. I amalgamated those into the original author platform book, which was massive. And then I also uh, stripped out some of the information in those books and repurposed it to create a dedicated WordPress book and a MailChimp book. So nine different distinct versions of other non-fiction titles which were published and I, I was they were on they were on sale and I made money from them, but they're not available right now and they won't be available again because they're out of date now. Plus three crazy project titles that I will never reveal to you. <laughs> They're not under any name that you'll ever discover. You won't be able to find them. So if you if you count them up, 42 self-published titles, and I've made money, however little, from every one of those 42 titles. That's why I've counted them, because they've all made me some money, some sales, regardless of, well, the three crazy projects were, they were just, they were test projects. It was just me testing different things, keyword-related ideas. And as I say, I'll never reveal them to you, but they did all make money. I just decided to take them off sale, so you won't even find them. Now, I don't think you'll even find a legacy of them online. So in all that time, that's quite a good track record over. I think I've been, I think I kind of write, started writing the year before the podcast began. So, I, I, you know, these things get confused, don't they? Maybe even two years before the podcast began. I think from memory, I maybe started writing 2014, maybe published 2015, some, something like that. And this podcast started in 2016. The, the, the years get blurred after a while and the starting dates get blurred. But these are 10 observations and learnings that I've had during that time. So number one, you're going to need more than one book. <laughs> that, that, I'm afraid, is the sad discovery that we all make. It is a huge task to write and publish that first book. I, I still believe it's the hardest because you don't believe you could do it. It seems such a massive undertaking, writing a book. It seems so hard. It seems that there's such a, a challenge ahead of you that I think many people aspire to write a book. Most of them never will. Some of us start and never finish. And hopefully, that if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of the people who has actually completed and published a book or you're well on the way for that. And you kind of think that's going to be it when you publish the first one, only to, to find out very quickly that no one buys that book after your friends and families and you're going to have to learn how to market it, do all the things that we know that we need to do. So you're going to need more than one book. Now, let me qualify that. If you only want to write one book, maybe a book about your life, or maybe you think, you know, before I die, I'm going to write a book and that'll be it. I don't aspire to be an author. I just want to write a book. That's fine. If you just want to write one book, that's fine. But if you want to make a career, a living, an income, a second income out of this, you're going to need more than one book unless you get very, 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 very lucky what they call a unicorn, the sort of you write the first book and everybody buys it and it goes global and they make films from it. That doesn't happen to most people. So given that you're going to need more than one book, I can tell you that trilogies have worked best for me. 
A series is also helping me to, to build out my author career. A series is good. But what I can tell you is that the more books that I've written, the easier it gets. It gets easier to write the books, but it gets easier to sell the book. So one book sells another. And the more books you've got, and so long as you, in each at the end of each book, you let people know what other books you've got available, the more books you've got, it just gets easier. Now, I don't generally recommend standalones as a self-publisher, unless you've got a strategy to box set them. I, I'm pleased I've got standalones because it allows me to do different things, but I would generally recommend, from my personal experience, that you write that first book as a trilogy or a series, even if it's a short series, because I found that one book in a series sells another. And you're looking for what we call buy-through. People buy the first one, like it, have to read book two, three, and if there's a four, five, six, and whatever, they need to read through the series. It's that sense of Netflix binging, wanting to read everything at once. So yeah, in summary then, more than one book, trilogies work best for me, series are also good. I find that standalones have worked less for me. I found them harder to, to market unless you're going to box set them. I actually find it easier to sell the box sets made up of my standalones. And I, I themed them uh, by action and adventure thrillers, three action and adventure thrillers, and three female lead thrillers. And that helps me to actually market and sell them to the correct audience. It's been easier doing that. Number two on the list then. What I thought I was doing at the start looks extremely different now, and it's probably going to look completely different in the future. So when I started out this game, I, I literally started out to write 5,000 words. It was 5,000 words entering a competition. I hadn't intended to write a book at that stage. I just thought, oh, I've got an idea. I'll write the first 5,000 words. I'll submit it to this competition. And it was only because I, I never read the small print. It was only because I just happened to be reading the small print for the competition that if they liked these 5,000 words, they would be asking me for a story. I thought, well, I'd better get on and finish the story. So I finished the story and that became The Secret Bunker Darkness Falls. And actually, as I wrote the story, I realized there was more to it. So I wrote book two and book three. And my, my first book was a trilogy. My first books were a trilogy. I found with sci-fi, I found it fairly hard to sell in sci-fi. I mean, made, I made some money in sci-fi, but I decided after a while, I, I did some sci-fi, moved to non-fiction, did some more sci-fi, and then I moved to thrillers. And when I moved to thrillers, that's when I started making some decent money. So um, I don't know whether that's because I write better thrillers than sci-fi or whether it's a, a bigger market with thrillers. I, I don't know why that is, but I now write in three genres. I'm very pleased that I write in three genres, uh, sci-fi, non-fiction, and thrillers and generally the non-fiction is kind of webby geeky marketing -y stuff that's what I'm writing about at the moment now when I started writing I would have to submit my books in word as word documents I used to hate working in word the formatting was terrible it used to take me forever paperbacks were even worse I when I published those first three books I didn't have a uh, an editor at first. So I read them myself several times. So I used to order the paperbacks with just rubbishy covers on that I'd made. And I can remember when I was going to my corporate work, when I was sitting on a train going uh, out west to do some corporate work, it was a long train journey. I was sitting there with a biro and that's how I would edit my, my work in those days. I found it easier to edit it with a biro and then I'd go back and make the changes. And that's not that long ago, is it? it's been about 2014, I think, when I was writing those books. And I had no concept of marketing. I mean, I got lucky with the Secret Bunker books because the real life Secret Bunker took them on and I made sales straight away on those books. And I learned very quickly about marketing. I discovered self-publishing podcasts. And of course, this is what my self-publishing journey has included. It's included six years now of constantly learning, refining and testing. So it's very, very different from when I set out on, on the journey. And I just started writing 5,000 words for a competition. That was how it started. And it's going to look very different in future too, because I'd like to try my hand at a Western sometime, a traditional kind of Shane type Western. Uh, I've always loved the spaghetti Westerns. I do like the traditional Western format. So I, I'd like to write a traditional Western at some point. And this may surprise you. I don't know whether I've ever mentioned this, 
But I'd also like to try my hand at some point at a family saga. So when I was a kid, I, I think I was a bit a teenager probably, uh, the Barbara Taylor Bradford series, Woman of Substance, was on. And again, as a kid, I think it must have been late 70s probably, because we were allowed to stay up to watch them. They used to do these blockbuster serializations. And I remember uh, Rich Man, Poor Man was one. And I used to love these things, these sagas of, of families and, and you know brothers and uh, fighting together and things like that. I love them. And so one of the things I'd like to do, this is one of, like a life ambition, is a family saga like Woman of Substance, where somebody works their way up from terrible situation and then has a breakthrough and falls and crises and then the family are born and all fall out. You know, one of those, I'd love to write one of those. So these are things that... I'd like to do, but I won't have any aspiration particularly to make money from them. They will just be projects that I will write. Obviously, I, I'll do them properly so that they stand to make money, but they're more uh, self-indulgent. They're more for the pleasure of it. They're more life goals for me. And these are the sorts of things that I'm going to look at after I finish my existing Walk and Bay series. If I do these books, I'll, I'll use a different name. It might be a version of Paul Teague, or it might be just a completely different name for, for, the, for the Westerns. And the, and the family saga might even be a female name, actually. I'll have to have a think about that. But they'll be written for pleasure and not income. If they make income, that's fabulous. But they'll be written for pleasure, not income. And the reason that I could look at doing that is because I've got enough books now. I didn't write at the beginning six years ago. But because I've carried on for six years and I've written all these books, I have enough books now to be able to just continue marketing those books and they will bring an income in and I, in the meantime I could just go off and do something self-indulgent like writing a western or writing um, a family saga. Now a western is going to be a lot shorter so a western I could get away with probably 50 to 75,000 words. A family saga would be the longest book that I've written. So I've never written over 90,000 words for a book. I would expect a family saga to be 125, maybe to 150,000 words. So this is why I say they're self-indulgent. Self um, and if I make money from them, that's great. I mean, I'll make some money from them uh, because it's hard not to when you know the basics of marketing. So it would be very hard for me not to make some money from them, uh, but I wouldn't expect them to be blockbusters. They're really um, aimed at, well, they're self-indulgent and uh, obviously they'll be written to market. Uh, the aim would be to sell them, but I wouldn't expect them to sell necessarily. So what I thought I was doing at the start looks extremely different now and it's gonna look very different in the future. Number three. This is not a full-time job for me. Writing is not a full-time job for me. I, I listen to younger people on their, on their podcasts and I hear how they've given up jobs. A lot of them have young families. It's a very difficult time of life. You know, when I, when I was at that time of life, I remember my wife giving up her work. I was then the main salary earner. Our family choice was that my wife would stay with the kids uh, it put extra pressure on me to, um, it's it's when I, I guess I started to drift away from broadcasting when I went into management rather than actually doing the job of broadcasting, which I always loved. Uh, when I went into management, that's when all the kind of hassle, people hassle starts. And that's what I had to do to compensate us for when my wife stopped working. And, you know, it's a hard time of life. You've got kids, you've got mortgage you know, cars to run, uh, commitments. It's a really difficult time of life. And I I still think, I, I mean, I started this, what, about in my late 40s when my kids were much older. If I were a younger man setting out on a career as a writer, if I were advising myself, I would advise myself not to do it full time. I would still do it. I wouldn't change anything about the way I've done it. So I still think the right way to do it for me personally was to go part-time, to make sure that the bills were paid. I didn't have that relentless, horrible pressure about mortgages and bills, you know, car payments, credit card payments, whatever you've got. I also think it's quite punishing to be writing all of the time. I got a little taste of it when I did my eight books in 2019, when I did my rapid release. Uh, and even that, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't me writing every hour that there was in the day. I was slowly writing at a maximum, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I was working the other three 
days of the week, but I, I found it uh, punishing. And I just thought if I did this all the time, I would quickly uh, you know, dry up, I'd run out of ideas, I would find it immensely stressful. And you know, I hear younger people on their podcasts talking about being ill, burning out, things like this. And I've, I've every sympathy with them because I, I know the stress. I've done it. I gave up a BBC job. Um, uh, you know, I know the stress of having to suddenly replace that salary and make all those payments. It is an incredibly stressful time. You know, I can still remember when I gave up my job at the BBC, and I'd had I'd had two years. I took a career break for two years before I left my job. So I was already earning money in internet marketing. I already had a reasonable expectation that I could keep it going. And of course, I had a redundancy payment from the BBC as well, which helped to underwrite it because I'm an old geezer. And and so even then, I can remember waking up in sheer terror for the first year at what I'd done and losing that safety net of a job. So... I would not make it a, this is me personally speaking from my experience, I would not make it a full-time job. I still wouldn't make it a full-time job. For my tastes, writing is best left with the joy firmly intact. I want to enjoy the writing. I want to feel uh, creative. I don't want to feel like I'm pounding out the words because I have to. Uh, I want there to be pleasure in there all the time. So I'm pleased I did it the way I did, working part-time, bootstrapping the business until it was able to pay for itself. And it's taken six years to be able to do that. And even if I, I mean, I, I don't think I ever had the courage to go it alone when I was a younger guy. You know, my entrepreneurial uh, instincts came much later in life. I was always quite happy. I was always very happy doing a salaried job. Um, you know, I was happy doing it. it. It never troubled me. I'd love my time at the BBC. But it was only in the latter part of my career that I started. It was really when the internet came along and I, st I started to see the potential. And then I discovered internet markers again. It just, this new thing, um, just completely, I found it compelling. I still find it compelling. I mean, I still do a lot of what I did in internet marketing as an author, but I, I love doing it. It completely consumes my interest. And this new thing caught my attention. And, and it just felt like a natural evolution from the job that I was doing in radio and, and websites. So, so I don't believe there was ever a time I would have gone, gone full-time. I don't want to be full-time. I don't want to write five or seven days a week. I don't care what people say about writing every day. It doesn't suit me. It's not the best way for me to do it. I like to write three to four days a week, and I like to produce 5,000 words when I do it. Uh, so I like to write a lot, um, but not every day. And I know I would burn out if I did it every day. So I would still advise, if, if you asked me for my advice, based on my experience, if particularly if you're a younger person, you've got all this stress with early days of mortgages and things like that, I would say think very carefully about it. And I would my recommendation would be go part-time. Uh, take some of that stress off yourself and uh, try and enjoy the writing. Because what my perception is, is that a lot of people are very eager to leave their job but in leaving their job, they just create another relentless job that they're not going to like for very much longer. And that's writing because the, all the sheer pleasure, the creativity has gone from it. They've just got to bang those words out, get those books out. Otherwise, the money doesn't come in. Now, of course, that suits some people. It doesn't suit me. It may or may not suit you. Number four on the list. I prefer to be a lone ranger. I, I've told you, if you listen to this podcast you know, for many years, I've always said I prefer to be a lone ranger. I've, I've no kind of particular desire. Uh, I like to share my knowledge, but I don't want to get involved in coaching people and things like that. Because as you know, I like to get the work done. I don't hang around, I just get the work done. And I, I don't really have a massive amount of patience with people who don't. Um, you know, so if I if I was if I was coaching a, a bunch of automatons who just went off and did what they were told uh, on time that would be fine for me but I, I don't have a lot of patience with sort of people and their idiosyncrasies when it comes to work I, I expect to sort of just get on with the work and uh, without a lot of fuss and that's that's how I like to be I just like to get on with it um, and all, so although I work with people all the time you know I work with editors I work with cover designers I work with people on Fiverr I work with people all the time in a freelance capacity I don't want to work with people in general. So that means no more courses. 
it means no more collaborations and, and no more teaching, probably. You know, never say never. Um, because the, the funny thing is, 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 is I do enjoy it immensely, but I don't, what I, what I hate about it is the expectation that comes after it, the, you know, the constant follow-up questions. I was listening to somebody's podcast the other day. Uh, I won't say who, who it was, but it was one of these younger authors that I listened to on a podcast who said, you know, great success, very impressive. And this author was saying that friends of his, knowing that he's a writer, have said, oh, I've, I've got a book. Can I send you this book to read? And he was saying how this makes demands on his time and there's always another question, you know, people... People say, can you just read that? And that's all I'll bother you. But they don't. They keep asking another question, another question. All of these things eat into your time. And he was just saying that, you know, he's effectively he's going to have to do what I do, which is to put the drawbridge completely up and say, you know, you either pay for this as as dedicated consultation time um, or I don't offer anything for free. And um, as I say, my instinct is to, is to teach and to do all this stuff because I enjoy it. But it's that that never-ending element that makes me stop, um, you know, stop it and pull the drawbridge up. Because there's always another question. I had a friend do exactly the same, well, a business colleague do exactly the same for me at the beginning of lockdown. I got an email saying, oh, you know, I've got lots of time on my hands now. I want to write a book. I think I'll write a book. You know, you self-published. Could you help me with that? And, and, and what I did with this person fairly abruptly was sent them I think my five-figure fiction formula book sent them a list of podcasts and, and books to help them I think I even sent them uh, my self-publishing course uh, that I had the videos to and I said there's loads of stuff in there everything I've learned do not ask me any questions afterwards all right you're welcome to have that but do not ask me any questions because I know what would have happened you'd have said oh just one more point just this just that just that and before you know it I'm involved in free consultation and that's just it's just the way it goes so my instinct is always to help but it just draws you in. It's like Al Pacino in The Godfather 3 when he's trying to get out and they just keep putting him back in. And, and that's what that's like. And that's what this other podcaster was was finding. So I, I prefer to be a lone ranger. You know, I'm very happy to share what I know in this podcast. But for me, it's a one-way thing. You know, I don't want to do the teaching thing, the coaching thing, the consultation thing. Um, much as I, I enjoy it with the right people immensely, I, I there's nothing I love more the, the doing consultation with somebody who listens, learns, and does the work, and then has the breakthrough. I love that, okay? But unfortunately, you have to kiss a lot of frogs to get to that point, and that's, that's the bit that I don't enjoy. So for me, um, and, and I did try it. I, I tried a couple of collaborations, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with my collaboration partners at all. This is about me, not them. No more courses, no more collaborations, no more teaching. <laughs> so the only way I would do a collaboration now is if I was paid up front for it. If, if there was some, uh, you know, a deal, if there was a deal in it rather than getting pay as you go. So number five on the list, I love creating stuff. Joanna Penn refers to this as our, as our body of work. And I, I love creating stuff. I always have loved creating stuff. This is one of the things I loved about internet marketing. I love to build a website and put the graphics on it and have a big course behind it and all the PDF files and the training videos and stuff. I love making stuff. I find the act of digital creation, it's very much my thing. I, I love all parts of it. I just completely enjoy it. And I've always loved making stuff and creating stuff. It's, it, it kind of gives me my life force. And to see books that I've made and created online and paperbacks and things like that, it just gives me uh, great joy. I look back at the books that I've written and I, uh, over six years and I think, how the heck have I done that? But I mean, I know how the heck I did it. I just sat at my desk and, and wrote 5,000 words a day for however many days it took. But I do sometimes look at that body of work and every now and then I look at it and think, actually, I'm quite proud of that. That's quite a lot of work, all those books. So the art of creativity is brilliant. And to be creative, you just have to kind of have the idea and you have to follow through and put it into action. I mean, it's like this podcast. We, this is episode 381 of my podcast, which I started five years ago. You know, to get to how do you get to 381 episodes? How do you do it? Well, I recorded episode one and I just kept going. And it's the same with the book. Well, how do you write a book? Well, I wrote the first word and I just kept going. And that's really how you keep creating stuff. But when you when you keep going with your creation, 
when you don't give up, when you keep pushing forward, you end up with this wonderful, as Joanna Penn calls it, this wonderful body of work. And you can stand back, look at what you've done and be proud of what you've created because you've left something uh, meaningful in the world. Now, this is one of the reasons that I stopped internet marketing. The problem with internet marketing is although I got that joy of creation, the problem with internet marketing is that the products would date so fast that you would do a launch, you might make some good money from the launch, but then within the next three months, you had to be doing another launch and you weren't leaving anything permanent in the world. So I got all the excitement and the pleasure of creation when I was internet marketing, but I didn't get any of the longevity. And so for me, being a self-published author, it's brought everything together. It's brought, I'm constantly doing the things that I used to enjoy about internet marketing, but the products that I'm creating now have longevity, longevity, they have legacy. So you know, even when I stopped doing this podcast, it will sit there forever as a record of the work that I did or you know, until I take the hosting down and start paying for it. And my books, whether I stop writing or not, will remain there for sale in perpetuity. And that's what I didn't get from internet marketing. That's what I get from self-publishing. I love creating and I love creating that body of work. Email marketing is an essential part of any author marketing strategy, and MailerLite is the service I prefer when it comes to sending out my emails. MailerLite offers a free account of up to 1,000 subscribers, and it also gives you access to a simple website builder. If you're a new author, that allows you to build the two most important components of your author platform without any technical or financial blocks. If you're more advanced in your self-publishing journey, I particularly like the automations, the landing page options, the advanced targeting features, and the automatic resend facility. Where MailChimp can get expensive very quickly, and ConvertKit is probably more suitable for complex business setups, MailerLite is well-priced as you build your subscribers, as well as boasting many incredible features. You pay nothing extra when you buy through my affiliate link, so to check out the email marketing service that I use and recommend, head over to paulteague.net forward slash MailerLite and get your online marketing off to a great start. Moving on to number six of the list then, some things just need paying for. Now, I, I learned this lesson before I even started writing, so it must be seven years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago now, when I was internet marketing, I was part of a very expensive mastermind group over a six month period. I used to love doing this. I used to travel down to London, spend a few days in London with this mastermind group and we'd talk about our businesses. And I was building my Facebook software at the time and I was, was moaning about the kind of costs of the freelancers I had to pay for. And the, the one of the chaps who was taking the mastermind group just said to me, look, get over it. There are costs of doing business. Um, I've used this example before, but if you're going to set up a window cleaning business, you're going to need a rag, a bucket, water, and a ladder, else you ain't got a business. It's the cost of doing business. When you run a business, you you have to spend some money. You have to pay for some things. And actually, we're in a brilliant business because we don't actually need that much. I mean, at the, at the very minimum these days, you could do it with a laptop, a 200 pound laptop. And actually, I'd go even further than that. Most libraries have access to computers that you could use for free. So even if you haven't got a laptop at home, you could still go to your local library. And you know what? Some people still write with a, a, a pad and pen. You can still do it um, old style if you want to and then transcribe it into, you know, into text and get somebody to transcribe it into text on a computer. But these are the costs of doing business. As self-published authors, they're not very high, to be honest with you. We don't have to open a premises. We don't need an office. We don't need staff. We don't have to pay for electricity business rates. We don't have to pay for furniture, uh, food, supply chain materials, or anything like that. We can just open up our laptop, start typing, and we're off. So this is one of the lessons I had to learn, that sometimes you just gotta, you just got to pay for stuff sometimes. You're not going to have a business if you don't pay for stuff. And we're very privileged in self-publishing because our costs are extremely low. So the costs are things like paying for an editor, paying for book covers, paying to advertise or for promotional activities, paying for a software like Vellum, because all of these things make your job easier. They make you more efficient. They make you produce better books. 
Some things just have to be paid for. They're the costs of doing business. Get over it as early as you can. You know, I know that um, when I was bootstrapping the business, and I, I do think you should constantly review what your expenditure is and say, do I need that? Am I getting benefit from it? So I do think that you should run a lean business, certainly right at the beginning. It should always be a lean business, but some expenses you have to pay for and you just have to get over it. Number seven on my list then, there is no job like this. We create income producing assets. And as I've just proven, proven because I'm recording this in Spain after spending about six months in Spain, you can take the business with you wherever you want to be. I'm sitting here with a Chromebook, which I bought specially for the occasion. I pack my microphone in the bag. I bought a 17 euro trestle table from the local shop and I'm my business is off. I can write here, I can record here, I can do everything I need to uh, on the move. And in actual fact, you know, the, the trestle table is an indulgence. I, I could work on the table outside if I wanted to. There is no job like this. We produce books, items, assets, which we can make money from years after our death. So our family can reap the benefits of these assets. At any time, somebody might discover them and turn them into a digital game, a film, or a medium which we haven't even thought of yet. Um, they're absolutely, you know, assets, creative assets. They can make money while we sleep. We don't need to carry physical stock anymore. I don't need to have 2,000 books in my cupboard anymore. I don't touch any of my product at all. It all is in the cloud. It's virtual. It's like no other job. It's absolutely amazing as a job. And sometimes I think we need to appreciate you know, what, what a gift of a job it is. And we can take it all around the world. So if you want a lifestyle job, if you want the kind of job that you can take with you to travel or when you're older, when you're retired and you want to travel, there's just no job like writing and, and self-publishing because we can do it wherever we are uh, with very few pieces of equipment. Number eight on my list then, is after all these books that I've written, 42 at the very full count, I still haven't found that magic something. So if you look at Paula Hawkins' career, for instance, the lady who wrote Girl on a Train, she wrote uh, several books before she had that breakthrough moment. And I think we all live in hope of that breakthrough moment. Now, my reviews, uh, as they've increased over time, are, are, are good enough. So I know that my writing doesn't stink because my reviews generally, however many reviews I get in a book, uh, are usually four and above. But my writing is not excellent. I know that. And so what I'm personally trying to do is to find that formula that makes the books run away so that you get that soar away hit. So I feel like I'm writing books that are safe. I'm not wasting my time. I've sold enough books that I've made enough income from it to know I'm not wasting my time. But I'm not good enough, and I never have really been good enough. And that's why this podcast is called Self-Publishing Journeys, because we probably never reach our destination. We're always learning about craft, about marketing, about writing, about creativity. And so... After 42 books, I haven't found that magic something. No, sure, I've had books that have made sales, they've, they've made me money, and I've made good income from them. But what I, what I hope I'll experience in my writing career before I kind of hang up my, my computer and say, well, that's enough, I'm moving on to something else now. It would be lovely to feel that a book is moving under its own momentum rather than me have to push it all the time, you know, to get that soar away hit. And I suspect that that's a combination of finding the right creative idea, my writing craft and ability, and marketing. I think it will be a combination of those things probably, but it will be lovely to find that magic in my writing career, however long or short that will be. Number nine, I'm ready to change things up after writing my next thriller trilogy. So I feel like I'm going to reach a, a, a point, a line, when I conclude the Walker Bay trilogy, which I'm aiming to do by close of play in 2021. And at that point, I'll have four non-fiction books, 10 science fiction books, and how many, how many books is that? Uh, 19, 19 thrillers at that point. So I'll have a total of 33 published books at that point. 
And on that journey, I would have tried a collaboration in thrillers. I would have tried a collaboration in sci-fi. I would have written standalones. I would have written trilogies. And I would have written a series. So I will have had very broad experience. I've tried many different things, many different approaches at the end of that. Now, I feel that unless I have some kind of breakthrough, that feels like enough thrillers to me. You know, not to have had that that soar away, that magic that I was talking to you about before. It feels like that's enough thrillers at that at that point. It's a lot of thrillers, isn't it? Nineteen thrillers, and I think that it'll be time to do something different. Now, that something different may be some sci-fi. I do love writing sci-fi. I suspect that with non-fiction, probably I'll just do a non-fiction every now and then when I feel like it and when I feel motivated to do the other. I quite like writing non-fiction. It, as I've always said to you, it, it sort of sells, it chugs along. I do feel like I found a formula with non-fiction now so that it doesn't date as quickly. So these books will need refreshing every two to three years. I'm happy with that cycle. They won't need an awful amount of work. Um, but I feel like I've hit a formula with non-fiction now where I can just frankly just add another to the pile every time I feel like it and every time I feel motivated to write a particular topic that I have enough knowledge on. So I'm aiming for my 57th birthday in March 2022. My books should be written by close of play 2021 and I'll be releasing and then marketing them you know towards the end of quarter one in 2022 and at that point I'm going to have a good old think about what happens next so I, I may even take a break for a year from writing because I've got so many books at that point I could frankly just market the books for a year and make income from them without having to write any more because I've got a, a substantial body of work at that point but I think that whatever happens once that series is concluded I just want to sort of set things up in a not in an automated way but the way I'm going to set things up is so that my non-fiction is listed wide on a permanent basis my sci-fi is listed wide on a permanent basis my Morecambe Bay series will be Amazon exclusive for at least a year and all my other thrillers will be wide now I talk about my Morecambe Bay series being Amazon exclusive it will uh, predominantly be Amazon exclusive but I will take it out um, so that I can promote the first book for BookBub. So, so book one might be wide, but the other books might be KDP Select. I have to work out how to do that because I want to market the whole series. That's the whole purpose of it. Um, and I might also have, you see, the problem with that is I, I'll probably have a box set that has all nine uh, editions in it. So I'm going to have to work out how I do that. So initially, probably, I will list book one, two, three, so the, the first Walker Bay trilogy wide, I could then hopefully get book bubs on that. But and having got a book bub on that, I will probably uh, remove the wide listing, make it Amazon exclusive, and then put loads of ads on the nine pack of books, which I'll sell for a low price. So I get huge page rigs on it. That's, that's probably what I'm going to do. But at that point, I feel like, well, you've written some sci-fis, you've written some thrillers, you've written some non-fictions, What's going to happen next? I don't feel like it's going to be any thrillers next. Um, I'm more interested in writing something self-indulgent like a Western or a family saga. So that's what's going to happen, I think. I know what's happening next. I've got to finish that thriller trilogy. That's strategic. That's about the business. Let's get that done by the end of the year. But I think that from after March 2022, after my 57th birthday, I'm going to have a good old think about what happens next in my writing career. And at that point, I may even say, well, you know, that's a pretty good body of work. I've got 33 books there. I can keep marketing those books. Maybe I'm going to step away from this for a while, try something different. I'm not sure. But that is going to be a pivotal time in March 2022, where I'm going to have a good old think about it, and I may change things up at that point. Finally, then, on this list of 10, we are masters of our own destiny. Okay, what I would say to you is, is make of your writing career what you will. Do it your way. Try some stuff ditch some stuff, fail, succeed, throw it all up in the air, start again. What I can tell you is, is that no one ever dies from this. You know, no one died in my writing career. I, I made mess ups. I did things wrong. I sank into the doldrums because I just wasn't doing well enough. I was doing all the work, but I wasn't doing well enough. 
no one dies at this. You only, you know, it's only when you give it up that that anything stops. You just keep writing. And as you write more books, you'll get better. You'll have a bigger body of work. You could write an hour a week or 24 hours a day if you want to. And you're leaving something in the world that is going to outlast your life, which is a remarkable thing in itself. As writers, we can do what we want. We can create worlds. We can destroy worlds and everything in between. We are truly masters of our own destiny as self-publishers. And whatever we do, however much we create, it is really all up to us. We can work how we want, where we want in the world, as many hours or as few hours as we want. It's entirely up to us. And remarkably, we can make money out of it. We can list a book on Amazon or wherever we list it. And even if it's a small amount of money, we can sell books. My granddad uh, used to sit in his shed. I think he wrote several books on a typewriter. My granddad was unable to get his books published and out in the world because he had to go through the traditional channels in those days. And so his books, I don't know where they are now. I'd love to find them. They've probably been binned, I would think. All that work never saw the light of day. But nowadays... Our, our work definitely will see the light of day. And the chance of you selling nothing are pretty low, to be honest with you. Even if you just put it up on Amazon, you'd probably sell a couple of books, even if you know nothing about marketing, getting great covers or anything like that. We've got complete flexibility. Work as much as you want. Work as little as you want. Do it your way. Find the way that suits you. Listen to what people say. Take what you like. Jettison what you don't like. You know, it's entirely up to you. We are completely masters of our own destiny. We don't have a boss. We don't have anybody to answer to. If you think you're writing some obscure story and you want to do it, well, then do it your way and get it published and it will find some audience. So, you know, I would I think that's absolutely remarkable that it's just a, a brilliant job and it's a brilliant time to be doing this and what i would say to you is that if you've even if you've taken that step from wanting to write a book and you've actually got it written and published you have embarked on an amazing journey that many are going to dream about but most will never execute on if you've got a book and you've published it even if you haven't made any sales, or you've just made a handful of sales, you have done a remarkable thing that most people will never do. Congratulations, wherever you are on your self-publishing journey. And I hope that you have every success in your writing career, whether you sell a million books or a handful of books. The important thing is just getting the book written. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of Vellum, the best way to format your publications in Mobi, EPUB or paperback format. When you buy Vellum through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort producing this podcast. All of my books are produced in Vellum, and I even have a simple guide to using Vellum on a PC over at my blog. Just head for paulteague.net forward slash use Vellum and download your free PDF how-to guide. So, to check out the best formatting software on the planet, head over to paulteague.net forward slash vellum. Okay, so you've heard my 10 things that I've learned about self-publishing in my five years of podcasting. I've got another couple of quickfire sections here to share with you. And in this section, this is 10 quickfire questions after five years. So I'm going to ask myself the question and then give you pretty well a one-sentence answer. Um, so... 10 quickfire questions after five years of podcasting. And number one is, what is your core self-publishing formula? So if you ask me to boil down what you need to do, what works, Facebook ads, plus BookBub featured deals, plus writing trilogies and series. That's my core self-publishing formula in a sentence. Pay for Facebook ads, learn about Facebook ads, however much they cost, get BookBub featured deals, BookBub featured deals won't work, nor will Facebook ads unless you've got trilogies or series so that you can sell the first book and people buy the next book. So that is my core self-publishing formula. Question two, what can't you do without Vellum? <laughs> you've heard me say it a million times, just buy Vellum. If you're writing more than two or three books, just buy Vellum. It will pay for itself for the time and the hassle that it saves you. And over time, when you get as many books as I have, it just makes refreshing them, changing them, updating them, it's just so easy, so much easier with Venom. Question three, won't, what, what won't you do again? I won't do collaborations again. I've had no problem. They were good 
experiences with the collaborations. I didn't fall out with anybody. We all get on very well. It's all fine. But I won't do collaborations again, not unless there is a uh, substantial upfront payment involved or, or some element of the deal that I can't achieve by myself. I won't collaborate again on writing. I just, I'm, I'm a lone ranger. I'm just happy to do stuff on my own. Question four, I think this is, I should have put the numbers next to these. What won't you rule out? I won't rule out traditional and or hybrid publishing. So if a traditional publisher came along, maybe liked the Walk of Bay books and said, we'd like you to take these off sale. We'd like you to rework them with a publisher and we'd like to relaunch them with different titles or whatever. I would say yes. I absolutely would say yes. And the other reason I'd say yes even more so nowadays is because I've got so many books, I could literally take out the Walk of Bay trilogy and put that into, into a traditional deal, for instance. And I would still have plenty of self-published books, which I feel would benefit from me being in that traditional deal. So yes, I would I won't rule out traditional publishing. You know, I'm not completely a slave to self-publishing and I would probably be more receptive to it now. Having found out how much work is involved in self-publishing, it would be quite nice to work with. Having said I'm not interested in collaborations, that's collaborations on books. I would be very happy to collaborate with a traditional publisher who I feel could give me value in terms of their marketing and editing uh, and just uh, writing craft expertise. So yes, very much in the market for that still. Next question, what would you change? I wouldn't change anything. I've tried loads of different things. If you wanna to listen to the last 380 episodes that precede this one, you'll find out what those things are. And you'll hear me at times being frustrated. Sometimes things have been slow. Sometimes things have gone really well. I've had breakthroughs. I've had blocks. I've tried all sorts of different approaches. My antennae are always listening for new information, new techniques. You know I like to try stuff. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Um, but I, there were no deaths along the way. No one died along the way. There were no major disasters along the way. So what would I change? Nothing. All of this, everything I've done, everything that you hear on the park podcast, has been part of my learning journey. Sometimes it's been painful, sometimes it's been frustrating, but when it goes, when you have those successes, there's nothing quite like that joy, knowing that something that you created allowed you to experience that. Next question, what is your self-publishing dream? Well, that's easy, a TV series or a film based on one of my stories. That's it, that's what I want. If you wanna ask me, when will you feel like you are successful well i will feel like i'm successful if one of my books ever gets the number one in a top tier category on you know either either um, in traditional listings or in amazon so it would need to be number one in crime i don't mean a subsection of crime it needs to be num right at number one where all the big authors are that that would make me feel successful and uh, number two a tv series or a movie based on one of my stories those are my pie-in-the-sky self-publishing dreams. If I ever hit any of those, you know that I now finally feel like I've done something that made me successful. Next question, what could you do better? Well, writing craft and marketing. And to me, those are journeys that never end in self-publishing. I think it's a, a constant process of learning and iteration. The market itself changes constantly. So what can I do better? Always marketing and my writing craft, the way I write my books. Those are two things that I can commit to improving. I can learn from other people. I can immerse myself in education. Uh, and to me, they go alongside the books that I'm writing. I'm always learning about writing and marketing and those and writing craft. Those are the things I think that will change the game for me. And I, I talked earlier in the podcast about having that kind of rocket fuel moment when things launch for you. I suspect, you know, it's good to be, obviously it's always about your idea. You're gonna have a great idea for a book, but it will be marketing and my writing craft that actually helped me to push through the atmosphere on that. Next question, what have you learned from COVID? Well, what I've learned from COVID is it's brilliant to work for yourself and it's brilliant to have complete control over how, where, and when, even if, you work. It's, you know, I've been in Spain for six months when I've recorded this. I've been able to take days off, just have a bit of fun, come back to my writing. And I was trying to imagine what it would be like working at home, having work calling you on your mobile phone every five minutes and that intrusion into your home life. And I know I would not have survived that. I would not have had the patience to survive that constant intrusion 
in my home life. So pleased that I didn't have to to go through that because I know I wouldn't have done very well in those circumstances. I think I would have ended up leaving a job fairly quickly. And also, it would feel like work had completely taken over your home. I, you know, if you have my great sympathies, if you've had to work like that um, during COVID. But I've been able to um, earn money from my books. I've been able to travel. Um, I've been able to sort of enjoy Spain. Sure, I've been working in, in between. I, I could have abandoned it for six months, but I don't want to abandon it for six months because I enjoy it. Um, but I've been able to reorganise my life around the writing. So what I would say to you is that this is a great job. It's a great arrangement. You are your own boss. and I love that kind of control. And COVID has really, really flagged up those great advantages to me. What's my advice to new writers? I always hesitate with questions like this, um, but this is based on my experience. My experience isn't your experience, so this is just my thoughts. I would say take care that you don't turn writing into a job that you hate as much as your day job. I, I know because I've been there that you could be desperate to leave your day job and try something else, but I would say beware of burnout and try to set up a writing schedule that allows you to enjoy the journey and smell the roses along the way. Also, write in trilogies or series and get decent covers and edits on your books. That's my, in a nutshell, advice to new writers. And so finally, in these quickfire questions then, what's coming next? A final Walk of Bay trilogy, as I said to you earlier, then this period of review and reflection about what is gonna come up next for me. I'm enjoying sort of the best of both worlds with books listed wide and in KDP Select. It gives me lots of marketing opportunities and potential, but I'm going to focus on setting up my assets so that they create ongoing income for me in the long term. And then having got that final Walker Bay trilogy written, I'm going to have a good old think about what I want to happen next with my writing career. And that will come up in March 2022. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, the professional business membership organisation for self-published authors. I found that I usually cover the cost of membership by using the special codes given out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership is easily paid for. However, Ally is much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors of all levels, and the amazing online conferences which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best essential professional membership service for all indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I. Just to finish off this episode then, this special episode, this conclusion to season three, I'm now going to go through 10 fast tips that I'm confident in sharing with you after five years of doing this podcast. So number one, I'm not going to justify these. These are just tips that I'm confident to share. Number one, use Vellum for formatting if you're intending on publishing three or more books. There's nothing quite like it. Don't mess around with the cheap things. They don't do the job as well. I've, I've done it. I, you know, I know it. Just use Vellum. Number two, always get your book professionally edited. Don't be cheapskate on that. Number three, Get proper book covers. Never use the default covers in KDP in the KDP dashboard. You can see them a mile off. It's the sign of an author that doesn't know what they're doing. You're not going to sell books like that. You only ever sell a handful of books like that. Get proper covers. Pay someone to do them properly. Number four, don't pay for an audiobook until you're making great money from the ebook or paperback versions. So you need to test it with things that don't cost you much in the first place, like your ebook or paperback. Uh, make sure you're getting good sales, you've got good response, and then consider paying for an audiobook. But you're not going to make your money back on an audiobook for a long time, not unless, again, you're one of these unicorn authors and you, you suddenly have this miraculous breakout. Um, they cost an awful lot to produce. You're not going to make your money back for some time. I think I've even heard pop popular authors say that. And I would say, put your money into ebooks and paperbacks. Ebooks are where you're going to make your profit, most of your profit, as a beginner author. 
Number five, don't worry if a book launch doesn't go well. It really doesn't matter if you're in this for the long term. This is something I've got used to now. You've You'll know on this podcast, I call it my flop it out technique, which is where I just kind of launch a book. I just publish the thing, basically. I don't have a big old launch and campaigns and things like that. Because actually what I've discovered is that you can sell books at any time. And I've sold more copies of my Secret Bunker and Grid series than I ever did when I launched the books. Um because I've learned how to market better now. So it's not all about the launch. I mean, that's fine. If you want to do a book launch, that's fine. But there's a lot of stress around it. And what I tend to prefer to do is just launch the thing. And um, when I'm doing trilogies, I kind of soft launch the thing, make, wait until I've got the series out, because that's how I'm going to make the money. And then and then kind of come up when I'm ready and start doing the marketing. But remember, these are assets. It's not do or die. If, if you launch falls flat there's loads of things you can do if you get rubbishy reviews you can rewrite it re-edit it put you can put a new cover on it you could use a different author name you know we can constantly reiterate as authors so if the book launch doesn't go well it doesn't matter just dust yourself down and find you know come back to the books and find another way to do it if you're in this for the long term it really doesn't matter Number six, you don't have to be on social media if you don't want to, and it's unlikely that you will make sales on those channels unless you experience one of these miraculous breakthroughs as an author. So the typical experience is you won't sell books on social media, not unless you're paying, obviously, for, for marketing. Organically, you generally won't sell books on social media. So if you really don't like social media, I would argue that you need a mailing list and a website, but I don't think these days that you have to be on social media. Certainly, certainly not when you're starting out. You don't have to be on social media. Number seven, you're gonna to have to pay for some form of advertising if you want to move the needle on your book sales. So if you launch a book, you'll probably make a handful of sales uh, from friends, family, and people who just discover it. You'll, you'll make some sales. I think it's pretty hard not to make any sale, any sales these days. But if you want to make a decent number of sales and build and find and build an audience, you're going to have to pay for some form of advertising. So get ready to pay for some form of advertising. They don't want to have to cost a fortune. Uh, you know, you could you could get free booksies, uh, promos, which don't cost very much, or you can get into Amazon ads, Facebook ads, BookBub ads. You don't have to lose the shirt off your back, but find some form of advertising that works for you if you want to move the needle on your book sales. Number eight you're likely to consider throwing in the towel on more than one occasion. And if you've listened to this podcast since I started it in 2014, you deserve a medal if you have, then you'll know that I've considered throwing in the towel on more than one occasion. It's a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of commitment, and there's been several occasions where I've just thought, what, what am I doing? If I just went off and smelt the roses, enjoyed my life and forgot all about writing, sometimes it would feel an awful lot simpler but I've always come back to it I've always thrown myself back into the ring because there's just something you know compelling and wonderful about what we do and usually when I'm considering throwing in the towel all it means is it's just time for a break you know take a month off stop writing books this goes back to earlier advice when I said to you don't don't set things up so you have to have to write every day and you lose all the joy usually for me when I'm considering throwing in the towel it means I just got to rediscover the joy of writing again uh, I've got to lose the relentlessness and rediscover the joy but you are going to probably you know you'll you, when you're writing your first book you want to throw the towel in when you've published your book you're going to want to throw the towel in you'll constantly consider throwing in the towel you know get used to it try and work through it unless it's really something that you you just need to give up and you don't want to do anymore. Number nine, everybody's word count is different. You will be intimidated by other people's word count. There is word count folklore in self-publishing and you'll hear of authors who can write thousands of words a day. You've probably heard me saying that I like to write 5,000 words a day. Find your own pace, okay? Don't, you know, by all means, if you write 500 words a day or 200 words a day, by all means, aspire to increase it. But don't be intimidated by other people's word counts because we're all on our own self-publishing journey here. I write 5,000 words a day. I hear people like Chris Fox who do 10,000 words a day. And I look at that and I think, I don't want to write 10,000 words a day. So kind of be your own man or woman, be your own person in this. Uh, you know, Find the pace that works for you. By all means, aspire to increase it, but please, 
please, I think my overriding advice here is just don't burn yourself out. You know, don't burn yourself out being intimidated by other people's word counts. And finally, then number 10, this is my last tip now after five years of podcasting. It helps to hear how other people are doing it. So don't, I've said I'm a lone ranger. I'm a lone ranger in terms of the work that I do. Uh, but I'm not a lone ranger in terms of listening to other people and what they're doing and uh, you know hearing best practice. So read books about writing, listen to podcasts, watch videos, attend webinars, uh, pay for coaching if people are offering coaching and they can help you move on. Take what's useful, learn from it, add it to your business, and jettison what's not. But what I would recommend to you is don't follow somebody else's path, don't follow somebody else's self-publishing journey, all of our self-publishing journeys are, are unique. Take what you can use, jettison what doesn't work for you, and find your own preferred path through the self-publishing jungle. And I wish you the very best of luck with that. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye-bye for now.